Hey everybody, it's Talking Jake here, and I want to tell you about a new podcast and video series you're not going to want to miss, The Deal. Every week, A-Rod and Bloomberg reporter Jason Kelly speak with big-time athletes, entertainers, executives, Maria Sharapova, Strahan, Jeter, and more. The Deal takes you behind the scenes into those worlds of sports, media, and entertainment. From Bloomberg Podcasts and Bloomberg Originals, you can listen to The Deal on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to episode number 34 of Bleeding Blue, and today we're going to sit back and relax and talk about the New York football giants and football in general. I have started to do my pre-drift prospects research, so we're going to throw some names around and see what shit sticks to the wall, and this is a work in progress and an ongoing conversation, so keep that in mind as we talk. We have Brett Wiley here to break it all down with us as the silly season is quickly approaching. So, without further ado, Brett, what are we going to do? We're going to bleed blue. Let's bleed blue. That's exactly how that goes. <laughs> exactly 100%. Brett Wiley, welcome back, and welcome back, everybody listening. I hope you are all having fantastic days, fantastic weeks, fantastic lives. Brett Wiley, how are you doing this week, today, whatever? Yeah, work sucked, but, you know, week's over. Week's over. We're recording on a Friday. Um, what we're probably going to do from now on for the giant silly season episodes is we're going to record on a day, which is probably going to be some sort of weekend day, and then we will release the episode sometime in the middle of the week because that makes schooling and work easier on everybody. And of course, if there is any kind of breaking news, which probably won't happen for a little bit, as we are going to talk about some dates for the NFL offseason in just a few minutes, Brett, remind me, we're going to talk about that soon. Um, but if there's any kind of breaking news, we'll go live and then we'll record a podcast for the Giants. But this is the format that we'll probably do. Um, so for some housekeeping items, follow me on Twitter, at Twitter, on Twitter, at jpenick 74 That's capital J-P-E-N-I-K, the number 74, the number 74. Follow the podcast on Twitter, at bleeding double underscore blue. I'm going to be started. I'm going to start doing... Do some periscopes. I did a periscope this past week on the Bleeding Blue Twitter account, and it was a lot of fun. It was about 36 minutes. We, told, we talked both Yankees. We talked Giants. Uh, so that was a lot of fun. If you enjoyed the podcast, give us five stars. Rate us five stars. Write a review on the Apple Podcast app. We will. I know I've been saying this for, really, for a really long time, but especially once football ends and once baseball is going to start to pick up. And maybe once we're in like this this weird kind of awkward period where there will be no sports happening, either football or baseball, I will have a contest. The contest will be announced shortly. But if you get your reviews in now, and if you can make me laugh, if you can make me cry, and if you can make me love you, um, I you may just win something as a contest. I want to do that. 
So we do have officially have 20 ratings, five-star ratings on the Apple Podcast app. Isn't that exciting, Brett? I'm psyched. 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 So uh, so here's kind of the breakdown today. We're going to sit back. We're going to relax. We're going to talk about the Giants. We're going to talk about football in general. But let's just talk about like football in general to kind of start off with. So, uh, so Brett, I've been, I've been kind of critical of the NFL in years past by kind of like the product on the field and football hasn't been entertaining. But I will tell you what, this year, football has really, really met its expectation in terms of entertainment quality. And these playoffs in particular have overexceeded those expectations. Wouldn't you say so? I think it's manufactured. Mm. That's I, I, an I, interesting I, take. And I, and, I, and, I t- and I tell you why. Because every game goes the same way. I, I don't like the monotony. But basically, you have offenses that'll do okay for the first three quarters. I mean, nobody really dominates offensively for the most part in the first three quarters, but then you get to the fourth quarter and boom, everyone's uh, Joe Montana out there, you know, leading game winning drives coming right down the field. It doesn't matter if you're a scrub, everyone does it. Well, I mean, it's you, really you can, annoying. Yeah. I mean, you can, can, you can attribute that to, uh, you know, in game adjustments, halftime adjustments, you know, you, you have, you come out and you have a plan your first three quarters. And then, you know, depending on the, the exigency of the circumstance, you kind of adjust to the moment. You don't think that – I mean, these playoff teams, they're here for a reason, and they show up and they perform in the fourth quarter for a reason. You don't think that's part of it? You think it's kind of like manufactured? And we can kind of get into the whole manufactured entertainment part of it. We can actually talk about that right now. But what do you – you don't think it's kind of like just good game planning and good execution? Yeah, I mean, honestly, both sides are game planning and good execution, and – Honestly, this year, I mean, the, uh, the the Chiefs and Patriots game that was high scoring, but y- you look at the other game that everyone expected to be super high scoring, uh, Saints and Rams, and that game was sort of called in an old school way. I actually, I mean, obviously the one call was terribly blown. We'll probably talk about that a little bit if we're talking playoffs, anyway. But I mean, that game there were hardly any pass interferences called, and I loved it. Let the defense play. Everyone's afraid to take these huge, huge pass interference calls. Personally, if the NFL is going to start looking at penalty calls, I think they should go with college with the pass interference. It should not be a spot foul, 15 yards. That's manufactured offense right there. That's what I'm talking about. These spot fouls. These, you chuck the ball 50 yards downfield, you get a pass interference. That's, you know, there's for free 50 yards right there. And I, I have hate. I've always hated that. And That's I think, a, and I think of it, a huge factor of whether we consider whether a football game was entertaining or not is the fact that after a football game, you go online and you talk about it. You go to your friends in your group chat and you talk about it. You you're yelling and you're screaming in your living room. Even sometimes, even if you're not like a direct football game, a direct football fan of that team, you're reacting to it in some kind of oh my gosh, OMG kind of way. And that's exactly what you saw, you know, especially when you look at this Saints Rams game. That was absolutely 100% an entertaining game as a football game itself. You look at the poise of Jared Goff and how the LA Rams, despite being down like 13 0 in the first half, they came back and they made this a football game, um, partially because of Sean, Play- Sean Payton and his and his iffy play calling decisions, but mainly because of that missed pass interference call. And but without that missed pass interference call, there's that captivated 
the NFL world for that day and for that moment. And in fact, for this entire week, you see these parody videos of Saints fans kind of like singing, we want a rematch. And it's actually kind of insane. Like what's the reaction to this missed call? Um, but I mean, that's a huge part. And what, and I liked how you kind of use that manufactured phrase because the entertainment in the missed call itself is entertainment. That's the factor right there. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's certainly going to get people talking, but you'd really like the right teams to win. You right. know, I mean, the, the Saints get that call like they 100% should have, then they win that game, 100%. I mean, as short of a miracle anyway. Yeah, and um, uh, and David Powis, uh, who is not here today, David Powis will be back uh, eventually. We miss you, David. But um, we were talking on Twitter after uh, after this after this game. And it's very rare that we actually agree on something. But the Saints on first down and third down, so third down when they passed the ball, that re- that led to the missed pass interference call, the no call. They only ran the ball on second down. I think Sean Payton was really, obviously, he was really trying to win the football game, and he trusted that his future Hall of Fame quarterback, record-breaking, record-dealing quarterback would lead them to get a first down that would seal the game. But, I mean, if you just run the ball three times, and even if you don't get a first down, you force the Rams to f- call all of their timeouts, the remaining of their timeouts, and then even if you give them the ball back, you are creating a situation where it is much more difficult for the Rams to go down and drive down the field and try to tie the game slash try to win the game. I forget the exact circumstance. No, but it was tie the game because they went to overtime. Um, you're creating a much more difficult circumstance for the Rams to try to come back and tie the game. So really, I put it more on Sean Payton's shoulders than the officials because you can't control the officials. You can't control your play calling in those decisions. Well, the thing is, I mean, you, you still still obviously you have the same situation, you know, assuming you're, you're, you're not trying to get that first down anyway. I mean, either way, they, they kicked a field goal. And like you said, they would have had to take their time out. So I, I get that. I get that. You know, they, w- they would have had to move quicker. But do I have any doubt that they could have anyway? No. No. I mean, I mean, just look. Also, look, speaking of easy offense, look at the Chiefs uh, Patriots game. There was what? 30. Uh, it was like 40 seconds left or something like that or 49, somewhere around there when the Chiefs got the ball back. Did you have any doubt they were going to go down and tie that game? Do you have any doubt at all? I didn't. I knew no. it. No. And, and and part of it, you're right. Part of it, it, it's good game planning. I mean, I honestly think there are more dynamic players. I'm saying like a higher volume of dynamic players on the offensive side of the football. But there's still a lot of good defenders too. But the offense, certainly, you're seeing that spike in, in, in elite talent uh, across all teams, really. And I, I just um, I just think it's unfortunate that the game tying, the really clutch drive, people are kind of numb to that. That used to be actually rare. You know, it used to be like, oh, my gosh, how are we going to come back? Now it's like, well, of course, we're going to come back. It was shocking. Like, use the use the Eagles Saints game. It was shocking when the Eagles didn't go down there and score. I mean, the, I mean, obviously, it was unlucky went went through all Sean Jeffrey's hands. Mm. But I mean, you could feel it coming. The Eagles were down to the 27 yard line of the Saints. And, and you're like, oh, here we go again. And then and the Saints were going to get the ball back uh, most likely, and they would have gone down probably won the game anyway. But still, it's just I, I hate the automatic clutch drive. Hey, well, uh, 
that's why these teams are in the playoffs. That's kind of my, my response to you because, I mean, you watched the Giants this year, and especially, you know, you look at that Indianapolis Colts game, you look at that Dallas Cowboys game. Our uh, two-time Super Bowl MVP quarterback who led game-winning drives in those in those two Super Bowl games and is, in 2011, broke probably, if I remember correctly, broke some sort of record for most fourth-quarter comeback and game-winning drive wins that season, that 2011 season. He had an opportunity a few times this year to, when he had the ball in his hands, he has to go down, he has to score a field goal, he has to go down, and he has to lead his team to a touchdown, and he couldn't do it. So my response to you is kind of like, you know, you kind of expect it, and it's kind of surprising when an offense doesn't go down and have a game-winning slash game-tying drive late in the fourth quarter. Uh, my response to you is that that's why these teams are in the playoffs. And what do all of these teams that made the playoffs maybe I, – I, hey, let's even count the Ravens because the Ravens, they were not a playoff team before Lamar Jackson. What do these teams have in common? And I'll ask you. That's not a rhetorical question. What do these teams have in common, Brett? Well, they all have franchise quarterbacks. Yeah, and that's that's the uh, in my in my in my uh, fan bleeding blue Giants fan opinion. I that's that's the key to a good football team, in my opinion. A, a franchise so that quarterback. could almost be a good transition, if you know what I mean. Yes, yes. But you want to know what I want to talk about first because I want to have a laugh. Okay. We talked about officiating. Great. We can get the pace of play another time. I, I've said this for a f- I said this a few times. I have a huge problem with the pace of play in the NFL. We can get to that another week. Oh, um, hold, hold. I, I do have a quick uh, thought when it comes to that. Yes. Um, these instant replays, I'm okay with actually increasing the number of, of, of replays as long as we go to like a soccer style where they buzz down and they have basically it determined anyway. Have have officials sitting up top and they're looking at the replays. And they make the decisions. I mean, kind of compartmentalize the the officials. I, I don't I don't like that the officials have to go over and and look at the replay for a, a long period of time. It, it, it ruins it ruins the game. It takes so fucking long. Yeah, I mean, especially when you're sitting at the stadium like that Tennessee Titans game. I talked about this briefly when after the Titans game and we had our episode back then. But during that Tennessee Titans game, I believe there were two replays within a five minute span. That five minute that five minute span, like for football time, took about 25 minutes between commercials, reviewing the time to review, running back to the other side of the fucking field to give the call. It was unbelievable like you want to talk about baseball baseball does not have a problem at all with pace of play compared to the nfl so that'll be a conversation for a later time i want to do some proper research with that um i don't know how i would do it um first first uh, start you know with the uh, average length of a game now yeah and then you maybe you can see maybe we can do like how many if there were any challenges and how that impacts the average time of the game and we can look so maybe we can do that maybe we can start with that what do you think um, of the concept of challenging uh, penalties and replaying penalties I, th- I i i i right now i don't fucking care i don't care enough um about well, that i, I have I, an idea though i mean if you want to do that you have to have some sort of extra penalty if you if you challenge a pass interference or if you, if you challenge that it happened i mean there needs to be an extra like there needs to be a something that discourages people from wanting to do that, even if it is in place. As a, as a regular season ticket holder of the New York football giants, if it's 70 degrees and sunny challenge, all the fucking penalties you want. 
if it's 20 degrees and it snowed the previous night and I'm sitting on ice, I want the game to go as quick as possible and I want the Giants to win. Well, that's, that's an, my that's answer. An, <laughs> that's an unfair, you know, you gotta, you gotta hypothetically treat every game the same. No, stop it. All right, Brett, who's going to win the Super Bowl and why? Wow, put me on the spot here. Yeah. You're putting me on the spot. Honestly, honestly, I think the Rams are going to do it. Because, I mean, you really look at, and this, is, I feel like, is something that kind of went under the rug just because Drew Brees is Drew Brees and Michael Thomas is Michael Thomas and Alvin Kamara is Alvin Kamara. Saints don't really have much besides those guys. And the fact that Mark Ingram is on this football team when Mark Ingram is on the field, Alvin Kamara is most likely not on the field unless he's lined up as a wide receiver. So the Saints really, they have a lot more of a sneaky playmakers on that football team that's better thats better fit for Jared Goff as opposed to the Saints relying on Mark Ingram getting going, Alvin Kamara getting going, and then you know if you lock down Michael Thomas, that makes a, a lot of other things easier. And that's what the Rams did. The Rams did a pretty good job. Wade Phillips... Props to him between he got that Broncos team to the Super Bowl. Obviously, there were studs on that defense. And obviously, there's studs on this defense as well for the Rams. But they have done a really good job. And and Brett, just like you were saying, in a, a playoffs where in a league, in a league like the NFL, where it's just expected that offenses, especially if you're in the playoffs, that you're going to put points on the board, they locked down Dallas and they really – in a very toxic environment, did a good job of finishing the football game in the second half against the Saints. So uh, obviously they they kind of match up pretty well. They're going to have two weeks to prepare for a Patriots team. So it's a it's a sneaky pick, Brett. It's a sneaky pick. Well, the reason is, and in, 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 you know, you asked me why, it's because the Rams are a really solid football team. You look at their overall roster, they are good on the lines, really good on the lines. And, and that's what we looked at last year with the Eagles against the Patriots. Mm. They have an innovative thinker, you know, a creative thinker in their head coach, Sean McVay. Eagles had that too, and still have that with Doug Peterson. I mean, the comparisons are there. And I, I actually think this Rams team is better than that Eagles team last year. It has more overall talent on it. And they, they've really played solid football. I mean, they, 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 they've been very consistent. And I've, I've really liked it. I feel comfortable picking them, actually. <laughs> How bad are you going to feel for St. Louis fans if they win? I don't care. They have the Cardinals. Deal with it. Oh, the, oh, the baseball Cardinals. Oh, gee. You're, you're, you're cruel, man. You're cruel. If, if you're getting championships, I don't care, man. It's oh, only the, it's only the cities that are lacking championships overall, like none. LA doesn't deserve the they Rams. Who cares about deserve? I've become callous ever since the Eagles won the Super Bowl. I've become callous. I don't care about who deserves what. The Bears, sure, they might have quote deserved not to have that that uh, field goal get deflected off the upright, but who cares? It it, it did. It happened. Oh well, tough You're- luck. You're cold. I, I, I'm I'm the I'm the tough talking Eagles fan now that we got one. You're cold. All right. Um, I think the Patriots are going to win just because um, Tom Brady, uh, uh, Bill Belichick is the greatest coach of all time, and that's what I have to say about that. Well, I knew you were picking the Patriots. So why why'd you why'd you think I picked the Rams? Yeah, because I, I have a rooting interest. I oh, have a root. Why? How? Be, because the more that the Patriots win, the better the Giants look. Well. 
honestly, your whole thing's done because the Eagles beat the Patriots. I, I know, but still, like, I mean, I don't necessarily want the Patriots to win because it's like it, it's it's enough. It's enough of them already. But I mean, just the fact that we're watching Brady and especially I mean, people like to talk about Brady, but I'm honestly I, I love Belichick just because of what he's able to do with NFL rosters and, and the fact that he's been able to go through such transition of coaching in a time where you can work overwork play overwork football players and get the most out of them. And now he's transitioned to a period where you need to coddle players, but he never coddles players. He gets the most out of players. Uh, he evaluates his guys and none of them are studs or superstars. It's just amazing what he's able to do with different guys, I feel like, almost every single year, and guys that nobody's ever heard of. It's actually a lot riding on the Super Bowl for uh, Tom Brady and Bill Belichick's le- legacy because there's a big difference between 6-3 and three and 5-4. Five and 5-4, five and four, you start going, yeah, you know, they made a lot of Super Bowls. But they also lost a lot of them, too. You're starting to get into a little bit of LeBron territory here. Yeah. I mean, LeBron has a losing record in the finals. Yeah. So that that's it's still obviously better than that. But I'm just, just saying, you can start to now say, well, they were in the easiest division of all time for 18, 19 years. And, you know, you can start to read the AFC. You know, it's pretty shallow. Only a few teams here and there any given year. You know, you, you can start to maybe pick on them a little bit. But six and three, nah, nah. They're, they're solid. Oh, Brett, great transition. Speaking of starting to pick on them, the Cowboys are still very clueless as to how to run their football team. Yeah. Yeah, I can't, isn't, that, I, isn't that great? I can't really laugh that much because the Giants, I mean, you know, the Giants are clueless, and I and I will tell you that the Giants are clueless. But but who's more likely to figure it out? Who's more likely to figure it out? I mean, I, I, hope, I, mean, I hope the New York it's football Giants. Giants. Of course it's the Giants. Um. They fired Scott Linehan, their offensive coordinator, and then literally a few days later, they announced that Jason Garrett's going to call the plays next year. <laughs> Which isn't that initial? Didn't they have a problem a few years ago that yeah. Jason Garrett was calling the plays, and that's why they went to like Scott Linehan, or that's why they went to another guy? But then it's that they're actually going back to what got them in this situation in the first place. So instead of going to like a young and an innovative mind trying to do literally anything else different with a young quarterback and a young running back on the last years of their rookie contracts, they go to they go back to something that didn't work a few years ago anyway. I have a question for you. You have a question for me? I, I probably yeah. I may not know it since it's the Cowboys, but okay. No, this is sort of a generic, you know, speculative kind of question. Okay. What do you think Jason Garrett has on Jerry Jones? What do you think oh. he has on him? Oh boy, um, you're you're you may you may force me to say something very inappropriate that I don't want to say. It in, <laughs> it involves it involves getting on your knees. Um, you could finish that thought. But, wow, um, wow. You know what? I I didn't I didn't I wasn't thinking that. I was thinking mm, something else. I think it's nasty. I think yeah, it's I'm, I think I'm it's. Sorry. I'm sorry I asked it. Let's move on. No, yeah, let's move on. Um, <laughs> Cowboys are fucking mess, and I love it. Because they're so cl- they're like the Giants. They're so close, but it's comically close to how like good they can be. But they, all the fans get hyped every year to think that they're going to win. It's it's it, they're, it's actually eerily similar to the Giants. But I feel like Giants fans are a little bit more educated than the Cowboy fans, so that the Cowboy fans just scream and fucking yell when they don't get their way. Whereas Giants fans, we argue with each other as to why we don't get our way. 
which I feel like is more sophisticated. Anyway, uh, Steve Spagnolo got hired by the Chiefs. Speaking of trying to do things over and over again that doesn't work, and uh, rather than something more innovative, um, you can argue that the Chiefs' defense just got worse with Steve Spagnolo. I like Spagnolo. There have been more seasons where Steve Spagnolo has had outlier bad seasons and bad coaching performances than good coaching performances. In terms of defensively or when he was a head coach? Well, both. I'm just talking about as a coach in general. There have been more bad seasons than good seasons for him. Yeah, so, I don't know a whole lot about him, but I, I always know. I, I always remember him for for his good seasons. <laughs> yeah, I mean, well, I mean, it, it ended up in a Super Bowl, and then in 2016, it ended up with a, a top 10 defense and a team that went 11 and five, and then their defense basically carried that team that year. So obviously, two seasons were really good, but even even we, he had he had the few seasons with the Eagles, and that's why you had the Steve Spagnolo Andy Reid connection that was back in Philadelphia, and he was not good in Philadelphia. So. Um, uh, good for the Chiefs because they just got worse. They basically lost in the playoffs because they're because of their defense, and now they're going to continue to lose because of their defense. So, I'm rooting. So what do you think they should have hired Rex Ryan. I, that would have been the ideal hire. Uh, IMO, in my opinion, that would have been the ideal hire. You think? Oh, oh yeah. You you fucking kidding me? That that would have been awesome. Well, for them. From your perspective, but do you think it would you think it would have factually been better? Why not? Well, I'm just asking, man. I, I'm just here asking the questions. I'm rooting for Spags, but I just think, you know, if, if you want to go off of history, it's not necessarily the best of moves. Okay, let's actually get to the New York football giants. The football giants. The football giants. All right, so first, I'm glad you reminded me, Brett, even though you didn't. I remind, I remembered this myself. Good for me. I'm gonna re- Thank you. And this is the first time I ever rem- remembered anything in my life. Um, I am going to read off some important NFL offseason dates. Are you ready? Yes. Yes. Okay. So we have the Super Bowl, which is February 3rd, this Sunday. Right. February 12th, NFL teams can sign players to CFL contracts. Giants have had some offensive linemen that have made it from the CFL. February 19th, first day for clubs to designate franchise or transition players. So this is for like Cough, Cough, Landon Collins. So that's an important date to keep an eye on. February 26th to March 4th is the NFL Scouting Combine in Indianapolis, Indiana. March 5th, New York time, 4 p.m., deadline for clubs to designate franchise or transition players. So the Giants will have from February 19th to March 13th, I'm sorry, to March 5th to designate franchise players. Then March 11th, we will have clubs are permitted to enter into contract negotiations with players who will become unrestricted free agents once their 2018 player contracts expire at 4 p.m. So March 11th is the start of the unrestricted free agency. Um, wink, wink. <laughs> wink, wink. Um, I'm sure it, it never starts before March 11th. I'm oh, yeah. Sure. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's also that's also like an ethical thing, I guess. March 24th, annual league meeting in Phoenix. And then April 1st, Clubs that hired a new head coach after the end of the 2018 regular season may begin their workout programs. April 15th, clubs with returning head coaches may begin off-season workouts. And April 25th to April 27th is the 2019 NFL Draft in Nashville, Tennessee. So those are some important dates to keep uh, on the lookout for. So basically the whole 
moral of the story of reading those dates is to say we have a long way to go before any of that stuff happens. We have a few episodes before that's any any of that's going to happen. But at least for right now, I want to talk about kind of maybe some particularly I want to talk about the quarterback position for the Giants. And this is an ongoing conversation. I want to talk about some positional, like what the Giants really need, where they might be looking specifically for the NFL draft. We'll get the free agency at another time. But I really wanted to dig in and look at some of the draft draft prospects. And that's what I did. I have not looked into free agency. So that's what I want to talk about. Yep, 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 yep. And uh, I tell you what, I tell you what, this draft, like, like you're hearing it from everywhere. This draft is stacked with the defensive line, defense, you know, defensive tackles, defensive line, uh, nope. defensive end. I mean, it's stacked. And that's what I'm giddy at. Now, I will say this. Now, if you're a listener of Bleeding Blue, but if you're a first time listener, hello. I am not the uh, the biggest fan of Eli Manning, to say the least. I love Eli Manning. He's the only quarterback that I've grown up with. He's he's provided me my two best days of my entire life. But if it's time, it's time to move on now. I thought it was time to move on last April. That last April would be the 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 first straw that would eventually break the camel's back in terms of getting Eli Manning out of here by the end of the 2018 season. I have convinced myself that the Giants will not be taking a quarterback this draft. I have convinced myself. So I have dove in, dived, divin, dove, 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 dove headfirst into looking at some linebackers and edge rushers. Those are, those are my two main groups. I also did look at Jonah Williams, who's the number one rated offensive tackle. And we have, we'll have some good things to say about him, but we will talk about quarterbacks and I guess we'll just talk about it right now. Um, Brett, you believe that the Giants should take, as of right now, Dwayne Haskins. So we'll start with that. You tell me why. I'll rebut you. I'll agree with you. I'll disagree with you. Then we'll go from there. Well, I personally think that Dwayne Haskins, and a lot of people do think this as well, is is the best quarterback in this upcoming draft. Now, it's not the strongest quarterback draft. And, you know, I don't think Dwayne Haskins is going to be like an all-time greatest of great. But I, what I do think he's going to be is a winner. I really, I see, I see a lot of, of good qualities from, his, from, from watching him at Ohio State. Now, at Ohio State, he has a lot of talent around him. A lot of games, that talent outclasses the competition they're facing. So that's always the, always the, the problem, you know, evaluating players that are at Power 5 schools because they play a lot of sort of pretty easy games. But in a tough environment, like, for example, at Penn State, at the whiteout, he was able to come through late in that game and lead two big-time touchdown drives. Yeah, it ripped my heart out as a Penn State fan, but I got to admit, he was good. He was good. Now, he did have a lot of help. One of the, one of the touchdown passes was a long one. It involved a lot of missed tackling by Penn State. So that wasn't necessarily, you know, you know, him overall wasn't exactly Haskins overall, but he, you know, he hung in there with the crowd roaring and was able to deliver the ball accurately when it mattered. And that's what you really look for. I, th- I really think, you know, when you're evaluating prospects, obviously you evaluate the good and the bad. And, you know, there are footwork issues. There are slowness issues when it comes to Haskins. You know, 
he you're gonna have to block for him. But I view this guy, he makes he generally makes good decisions. He really does. He he's he he's aggressive, but he's smartly aggressive. Now, you know, at the next level in the NFL, it'll it, it, with like with any quarterback, young quarterback, there's gonna be an adjustment. But if the Giants do select Haskins, they better also build an offensive line. Is what I'm also saying. Yeah, and I don't think the Giants are very far from I, I think as some people like to think. The Giants aren't far from building a decent offensive line. Um, we discussed on the last episode that the Giants are probably going to roll with whatever they have right now at the center position. Obviously, left tackle set up with Solder. Hernandez is set up at left guard. They're going to roll with Jalapio. They're going to roll with Pulley. Probably have some sort of competition rolling into camp at center. Jamon Brown, you may see somebody. You're you're probably not going to see somebody signed big at the right guard spot. It's either going to be Jamon Brown or they're going to try to bring somebody in to have some sort of competition. And what we saw to Jamon Brown wasn't bad. It wasn't great, but that's where really the offense kind of quote-unquote took off. And I'm putting quotes around took off because they were against certain teams with that weren't in the best of positions. And even if they were playing good defenses like the Bears, that team wasn't really in the best of position that week because their offense was turning the ball over, which creates bad situations for the defense. Neither here nor there. Um, the Giants aren't that far off from, and and they may just very well just draft a right tackle in the draft. And I, I, if there's one thing that I respect Dave Gettleman for, it's his ability to find talent, offensive line talent, maybe even in the middle of the draft. Um, so I res- I respect his ability to do that. But there is a guy out there, Jonah Williams, out of Alabama, who would be you can plug him in at right tackle day one. You can even plug him in at left tackle, but especially right tackle, you can plug him in. Uh, Jonah Williams is that clear-cut, in my opinion, number one offensive lineman. Uh, his footwork—it looks like he's looks like he's ice skating out there. Like he's gracefully just ice skating out there with this beautiful, graceful footwork that he has, and his ability to punch at the point of attack and his hand placement is fantastic. But neither here nor but, there. But the thing is, okay. Also, I, 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 you know, I also looked at Jonah Williams. Does you know his lack of length concern you in terms of playing tackle? Not right tackle. Not right tackle, left tackle? Um, but well, may, maybe left tackle. But also, if you oh, have no, a, it doesn't a, concern you. It does not concern you if he were to play right tackle. No, no, and not okay. and not yet because you look at Eric Flowers. You can have the the best size in the world, but if you can't punch and if you can't get your hands on a defender first and if you can't move your feet, it doesn't matter what size you are. It doesn't matter your reach. It doesn't matter. None of that matters. doesn't matter your weight, your size, your height. Um, Jonah Williams has that ability to extend, and he has that ability to move his feet to know the situation, know where the ball is going, know where a defender is going. He seems like he has those intangibles, and he has the grind to do that. So um, I'm not concerned about it. Would, would you be okay? Would, would you think he'd be better, perhaps, with him playing guard? No, because I don't think the Giants they they don't need a guard. Um, ideally, they right they now they need a right guard. They if they have Jamon Brown, I mean, obviously they need. I would say they Jamon need Brown, a right guard. I don't know, man. That's not, that's not some guy you just picked up. I know, I know, but the, the Giants need a right tackle way more than they need a way more than they need a right well, guard, and, and it's about here. I mean, you to me, I mean, you you got to put this guy at the position he's going to succeed the I mean, most. If you want a right I mean, tackle. He, Go draft a tackle. 
I mean, he but I mean, this Jonah Williams played left tackle for the University of Alabama. He didn't play uh he, he didn't play left tackle or right tackle for uh for for the for the A ten here. I know. I, a, I, a, I a, just a personally a think ten. Jonah Williams would be better at guard, personally. Yeah. Yeah. A ten is a basketball conference in Philadelphia, by the way. Or not not in Philadelphia, in the Northeast. I totally just yeah, he didn't play <laughs> totally fucked that up. But um yeah, so neither here nor there. I like what you had to say about Haskins in particular, his poise when pressure in his is in his face, he seems to panic a little bit. And unlike Kyler Murray, who's another guy we could talk about, unlike Kyler Murray, his escapability isn't necessarily the best. However, his poise and his ability to throw with pressure in his face, it almost seems to go away in high pressure success game situations in terms of uh you know whether there's two minutes left uh third and fourth downs it's almost like he enters into another zone and yeah. he is a much better passer when the situ when those kind of game situations are on the line so big quarterback it, it, you, you, you want a guy with size i know i know some guys have succeeded yeah. with with smaller size but he's he's good sized yeah um, and especially when you talk about his poise issues, imagine if he had these kind of issues with pressure in his face and he was smaller. He's six two, and he's a pretty big guy, and he has these issues. So uh, you hope that he can work through it. Uh, he struggles a little bit with putting a little too much air under some of his long throws, uh, but he does have the arm strength. He has pretty good pocket awareness. Um, we could talk more about him. I'm going to watch more film on him, but uh, – like I said, I've convinced myself that the Giants will not be taking a quarterback because if they couldn't find and if they couldn't see that Eli Manning was not the guy for this team moving forward and they looked at all of those guys last year and they said, no, thank you. I get it. It was Saquon Barkley that was the outlier and Saquon Barkley was the reason why they didn't take those quarterbacks, not because they didn't feel like those quarterbacks didn't work. I get that. Saquon Barkley was the referendum, not necessarily the quarterbacks. But it's it's tough because then Dave Gettleman comes out and says, if the Giants, Giants clearly do have a quarterback problem because teams without a quarterback problem, their general managers doesn't come out and say, we're not sure who's, we're not sure what we're going to, ha- what's going to happen with Eli. Like teams without a quarterback problem don't have question marks at the quarterback position. Do you, do you understand what I mean, uh, Brett? Yeah, did yeah, you, certainly, you certainly. They have an, they have a plan with what they want to do with their quarterback position. Yeah, yeah, and and the Giants. I mean, at least as of you know Dave Gettleman's introductory press conference, they don't have a clear plan of what is going to happen for next year. So don't look and tell me that the Giants don't have a quarterback and that they have Eli Manning because they clearly do. Because even the general manager doesn't know what's going to happen. But I think I think that's all bullshit. Uh, I think Eli is going to be back next year. Clearly, I think the writing's on the wall, um, and I but, don't but, think that they're the going to take. Their is, the problem is, are you sure you're going to get a franchise quarterback? That's the thing. I mean, they're picking six this year. I mean, they should be better next year. They should be better than they were this year. Next year. Now, here's the thing. I've said this a million times on this podcast. If you take a quarterback at the sixth pick, but you're also going to try to, I think that's a clear referendum and that's a clear sign that if you take a quarterback the sixth pick you're not trying to win next year well yeah clearly clearly i'm just saying if they were to i'm saying if they skipped on haskins they stuck with eli i i personally think that the team will be better next year 
You know, right. just just from just from improvements they make in the offseason. Right. And, and but how much better, we don't know. You know, the Giants went from three wins to five wins this year. And then and then if they don't go quarterback and they try to draft somebody that's going to make the team better instantly, I mean, what do they go up to seven, eight wins? And then you're then you're trying to sneak in at a wild card spot. So obviously you hope for better, and I do hope for better, but you can't be half pregnant which the Giants were last year. They were half pregnant while they were trying to win now on the offense. And then especially after they traded Snacks and after they traded Eli Apple, they were trying to rebuild on defense. You can't do both. But I, at this point, I would rather the Giants really go all in since they dug themselves this hole, this massive quarterback hell hole. And this, because quarterback is the most important position in all of sports. So, They've dug themselves this massive hole of shit. I would rather them dig it deeper, not take a quarterback this year, try to go all in, officially go all in for 2019, and my guy that I want, Kleinlin Farrell out of Clemson. That's my guy. Okay, okay. right before we get to him, what is your plan then for the quarterback of your future then? I don't know because I don't think the Giants have a plan. I sound like Gettleman. No, exactly. That, that, because the Giants don't have a plan, and because you're they should have a plan, they don't have a plan. They have but a you're plan. Supposed to. I, I'm not the Giants. The Giants dug themselves a massive hole, and you take it year by year. And the year, and the words of Dave Gettleman, he said this during his introductory, is his or not his introductory, his end of the year press conference. You take it year by year, and that's what you have to do. At I don't this, know, man. I, I, I personally think you, you, you gotta go for that that quarterback right now. Because if you don't get one, you're not going to win anything. No, you're so. right. You're right. But I'm also I'm also not a fan of just taking a quarterback to take a quarterback. My guy right now is Kylan Farrell. That may change. Like you know, like I said, this is an ongoing conversation. Kyler Murray or Dwayne Haskins can come out during the combine, and the more film that I watch on either one of those guys, or even Drew Locke or one of those other guys, you know, Drew Locke out of Missouri, which the Giants seem to – there's media reports circling out there on Giants Twitter this week that the Giants contingency really likes Drew Locke. If I, you know, watch one of those guys and they really flashed to me and they could possibly be available at six – I'll take it, but also this draft could be absolutely insane with teams trading up. But we'll get to that. Uh, we'll get to that eventually. There's no need to talk about that now. But just keep that in the back of your mind. That I think if you think that there's actually going to be a quarterback that's that that no quarterbacks will be taken before the sixth pick that the Giants have, I think you're you're absolutely foolish and you don't know how the NFL works. There will be a team that will try to trade up. So oh, oh certainly, yeah, yeah. Uh, let's let's talk about let's let's do some quick hitting stuff. Um, for for some uh for some prospects that I like and then maybe if you wanna maybe if you wanna throw some some guys in there I know you really like an interior defense alignment from uh, uh another Williams from uh, Alabama but I'm not really gonna go there because I don't think the Giants are in a position especially at the sixth pick in the first round to take interior linemen because they're pretty set so not that he's not a good football player not that he's one of the best not one of the best players in the draft but i'm just going to be look, kind of looking at like what i feel like the giants need and what i feel like they may take how does and that sound? honestly he might be off the board anyway yeah yeah so my personal favorite prospect to watch so far Kylan Farrell unlike Josh Allen and we'll get to Josh Allen which Josh Allen will probably be on the off the board by the time the giants pick um Farrell's strong trait is his hand technique hand fighting ability 
very explosive off the line of this off the line of scrimmage. Not as explosive as Allen, and definitely not as fast as Allen. But he looks a lot bigger. He looks a bit bigger than Allen. Farrell's very, very good, great at initiating contact, kind of similar to uh to Jonah Williams. It was really entertaining to watch Jonah Williams and Clyland Farrell fight and battle it out, battle it out during the national championship. I would say Williams really had the better day, but Farrell made some plays back there. Farrell has great hand extension at the point of attack. He's very good. You know, just like it's very important for defensive linemen to get their hands uh, first on the offensive linemen and then vice versa. It's very important for linemen, offensive linemen, to get their hands first on the defensive linemen. Definitely has a few pass rushing moves up his sleeve. The rip is one of his stronger moves. He takes contact very well, which is something you really want to see out of defense, out of defensive linemen. Guys with a good motor. Even when you think you might be beat after the first step or at the point of attack, can a guy still fight? Can he keep himself involved in a play? Can he still fill his gaps and try to make some plays? And this especially applies in the run game and in a 3-4 defense because the 3-4 defense is all about filling gaps. Unlike Lorenzo Carter, which came out of college as a pass rushing specialist, Farrell should be an every down starter from day one. My biggest concern from Farrell, 4-3 system at Clemson. Definitely does prefer coming off the edge with his hand in the ground as opposed to a two-point stance. He can play, and, and some some uh, some scouts are saying that he can play in a 3-4 system, but it's going to be interesting to see what that may look like because he is, he would, he is a lot better with his hand in the ground because his acceleration is pretty solid, but his ability to get low to the ground and dip his shoulder, look up Khalil Mack highlights, look up DeMarcus Ware highlights, and see how those guys would just dip their shoulders off the left tackles. That's something that he needs to work on. He relies on his first step. He relies at the point of attack and his ability to get his hands on an offensive lineman. If he can dip his shoulder, get get some better pass rushing angles off the edge, dude will be unstoppable. You know who this guy reminds me a lot of? Who? Everyone likes comparisons, right? Yes. Brandon Graham. Mm. His description fits Brandon Graham almost exactly. I mean, it's everything down to the, the lack of elite athleticism, you know, his combination of size, effort, and production, those are pluses, by the way. But the lack of, you know, the stiffness, you know, the lack of moves. I mean, Brandon Graham is 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 a heart and soul guy. And that's what this guy sounds like. And Brandon Graham you know, helped the Eagles win a Super Bowl. So, you know. Yeah. That that you know, this is no knock on this guy, but um, I, I think this sound this guy sounds like a solid player. I would not pick him with the sixth overall pick, and probably not even close. Mm. Yeah, because he is kind of uh, on some big boards. Uh, he's kind of down on the list. He's kind of down like in the the ten eleven range. But at the same time, uh, I think the Giants Giants have to pick whether regardless of whether it's quarterback or edge rusher or linebacker, they really need to pick based off of. You know what? Obviously, what's what's best for them, and what's gonna who's gonna fill, and who's gonna give the most of the team. Obviously, Barkley was kind of like a the Barkley pick was a best player available kind of pick, but this year I really think they need to pick if, to fill a need no. rather than just no. best player available. No, best no? player available. Oh, oh boy. No, you. Oh, uh, first of all, I I personally think I almost always best player available. It's very few times I can think of that you wouldn't. But six overall. Where you still have elite talent on the board, and I mean, you're not going to pick a running back. That's for sure. Obviously not. And you know, you're not going to pick a tight end. There are certain positions that you just don't pick that highly generally. But like you said, 
one of these quarterbacks is going to pick, going to get picked a little higher than they should. Most likely, maybe, maybe someone falls in love with Drew Locke. I hear a lot of people falling in love with Drew Locke, and maybe rightfully so. This yeah, guy has a lot of good things about him. You know, maybe Haskins, or maybe Murray, but maybe two of those guys goes ahead of, ahead of the Giants. You, you know, you call me crazy, maybe, but it might happen. And I certainly don't think the Giants are going to be willing to move up. I don't. No. I don't think and they're they should. Be willing to do they should let those teams do that, and then pick the best player available. And you know, while I like Dwayne Haskins a lot, maybe he isn't worth being picked that highly. If if you don't have him ranked that highly, like I like what you said there, just because you have a need at quarterback, don't pick a quarterback. And I I, I agree with that actually. And um. I personally think if a guy like like Jeffrey Simmons, the defensive tackle out of Mississippi State, drawing comparisons to Fletcher Cox, if he's available at six, you draft you draft Fletcher Cox at six. Yeah. So I don't know. I I, I think the Giants can 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 do can do both. They can address their needs and pick an elite player. Not to yeah. say that Clellan Farrell. Let's say he can't be a, an elite player, but I think he has a slightly less. Ch- a lesser chance of becoming one than some other guys on the list. Yeah. So I want to talk about Josh Allen because there's a chance that he's going to get picked maybe higher than, you know, he. there's a chance he's a top three pick. But I'm going to tell you why I don't like Josh Allen. I do not like Josh Allen. I He could develop into a very good player. He could develop into a beast. The athletic ability is there. But off of the tape that I watched, n- no bueno. So, uh, so, so here we go. Local boy product of Montclair High School in New Jersey, similar to, now very similar to Devin White, which we'll get into, I guess, in a little bit, freakish athletic ability, and to be that fast and explosive at 260 pounds, I, unfortunately, I would love to see him use his hands more, and that's what really separates Allen and Farrell, in my opinion, is their ability to use their hands and their pass rushing moves. Josh Allen solely, solely relies on his speed. Um, I'm going to be very interested to see what his 40 time is. If it is under 4.7, especially if it's around 4.65, which I can honestly maybe even see it be faster. That's that's what that's what around Khalil Mack ran. He ran the 4.7, 4.65 range. Look out if he puts up those kind of numbers at the 40. However, like I said, the lack of hand work, the lack of hand fighting, not very good at setting the edge. He totally 100% has the mentality of a pass rusher. He constantly and consistently takes wide angles, over-penetrates in the run game. And I again, you want to talk about a pass rushing specialist, uh, that's Josh Allen. And in, in the NFL, tackles are faster. They're going to be able to move their feet faster. They're going to be able to get their hands on you. And if he doesn't have the ability to have any kind of pass rushing moves at the point of attack and try to get an offensive lineman's hands on him and solely relies on running around guys. That's no bueno. Josh Allen. I do not like what I see out of him at all on film. Wow. Very strong opinion, but you're missing the boat. I'm missing the boat. Yes. Guess what he can also do. What? He can cover. Mm. He can cover. Are you really going to have an, are you really going to draft an edge rusher in the top three? And then also ask him to consistently cover in the pass game. I'm not saying anything about where I'm drafting this guy. I, oh, I haven't okay. talked about him yet. Okay. <laughs> I'm just saying what he can do. Yes, I agree. He he definitely relies on his speed and you know, in terms of pass rushing. And that's concerning because, like you said, doesn't set the edge well, 
not as helpful in run defense. But this this the game, the NFL game today is about speed. You need guys that can move. And this is a guy that can cover frankly can even cover a running back even. This guy is so fast. Like you were saying, you can cover a tight end. Yeah, tight ends are becoming quicker and more athletic too. The whole league's trending that way. So while I might not draft him in the top three, I would definitely draft him in the top 10 and I would use him in a bunch of different roles. I, I, I like him a lot. And right. I think even though you're criticizing him, would you take him in the top 10? If Clownland Farrell and him are on the board at the same time, I'm taking Farrell. And honestly, I would rather take an offensive lineman over Allen right now. Wow. I, that's probably, you're, you're probably the, the most uh, bearish I've heard. On, on Allen. He's developed. I mean, he should not be raw, you know, when coming in. Should also be more diverse in his past rushing moves, though. That's what I don't like. It's it's one thing over and over and over again. One thing. Him running around a tackle. Him running around a tackle. Not using what, his what, hand. What, what if you instead, what if you used him to snuff out a screen or something? You know, oh, everyone yeah. likes the screen game now. Everyone likes the little RPO game. I'm you know, not he, gonna... has, he has good get off. He's he you know he not only is he fast, he's quick. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So that, that's his that's his plus, and that's you know obviously that's that's God given athletic freakish athletic ability. So you know if you could start there, but I'm just not gonna I'm not taking him. He with has the, good bend too, so he will yeah. get home sometime. Yeah. Um. All right, then last guy we're gonna talk about today because we talked about uh Haskins, we talked about Jonah Williams, we talked about Josh Allen, we talked about Kyland Farrell. Uh, these are some guys that have kind of like just popped out to me. Devin White is going to be my final guy. Now, interesting um, tweet I ran across. I don't know. I don't totally know the accuracy of it, but um, it was just announced as we were just recording that, that the Giants will decline Jonathan Stewart's op- option for next year. So around approximately $3 million, the Giants are going to save in cap. If the Giants cut Olivier Vernon, if they cut Alec Ogletree, if they cut Rhett Ellison, and if they cut Connor Barwin, they will save around $25 million in cap space. So those are those are some options. So the reason why I bring up those names, in particular Alec Ogletree, and even, hell, even if we even keep Alec Ogletree, because there were so many times where I feel like the Giants didn't know whether they wanted to use B.J. Goodson, even though I kind of like B.J. Goodson as, a, as an inside linebacker. Devin White is an incredible, incredible all-around football player. I totally agree. Keep going. Go go ahead. Devin White, incredible closing speed for a guy at 240 pounds. Great ability to get to the edge. East-west speed. Ability to recognize where the play is headed. Really does a good job of following the offensive lineman. In particular, when you have zone run plays, and the, he really moves well with the offensive line, flows well with the play, handles both the direction of the offensive line, and if the QB rolls out on a play action very smoothly, he's not easily fooled. Great job and i mean this because nfl players don't uh, football players in general don't know how to do this anymore great job at wrapping up at the point of contact in Mm. terms of tackling he wraps up wraps up has a knack for finding the ball wherever he has a guy wrapped up he's always fighting for the football which sometimes that could be a negative because if you have a guy that solely goes for the football and doesn't actually try to make a tackle he always makes sure that he tries to make the tackle first and then he goes back goes after the football and tries to get a strip. Um, tackles very smart. Not many guys can wrap up like he can. However, however, 
I would like to see him get lower, use his shoulder a little bit more, um, running back, ball carriers, offensive linemen, much stronger in the NFL. And if you're standing upright and not using your leverage correctly, guys are going to blow you up and it doesn't matter how much speed you have. But overall, Devin White would possibly love to see the Giants take him. Great linebacker. And that would really, if we have Alec Ogletree who really had a solid second half, or even if we decide to part ways with Alec Ogletree, I'm very fine if Devin White is our number one middle uh, in inside middle linebacker in James Fetcher's 3-4 defense. You know who Devin White reminds me of? Let's get another pro comparison. In, I hope you've heard of this name because because not everyone has. We're going we'll get a little old school here. Seth Joyner. No, I have not. Never heard of Seth Joyner. Nope. His description matches Seth Joyner's perfectly. Okay, what I would re- recommend you do is go and watch the first half of the House of Pain game, Eagles-Oilers Eagles back in uh, 1991, and watch Seth Joyner play. Now, try to skip the Eagles offense. The Eagles were dreadful offensively. Just, just try to skip through all that as much as you can. But watch Seth Joyner play. The description, the potential of Devin White, you know, the, the description I see of him is like exactly the same. An absolute animal. Seth Joyner could cover. This is back in the early '90s. He could cover anyone. Yeah, from nineteen from nineteen eighty eight to nineteen ninety three, all of those years he had over a hundred tackles combined. And nineteen eighty eight, he had one hundred thirty six tackles combined. That's insane. Yeah, this could cover anyone. He he could play the run. I mean, he was the modern linebacker before the modern linebacker. I'm, I'm sure there were guys before him, but he's the guy who stands out to my, in my head anyway. But I'm just saying that this is what this Devin White kid sounds like. That's his potential. All right. So uh, that's that's all I got today. Um, we talked a lot about kind of like a state of the NFL playoffs. Um, talked we, we threw some names out there. We talked round and round about, you know, what the Giants may do, may or not do. But again, this is an ongoing conversation. This is going to change totally completely in the in the next upcoming weeks but let us know what you think on twitter um am i just a fool am i a fool for my beliefs am i a fool for not thinking am i a fool for just being totally being blind to that the giants may actually take a quarterback let me know at bleeding double underscore blue let me know i'm i'm at jpenic 74 and then brett's twitter is at coyote weather 10 Tell Brett that you like him on Bleeding Blue because Brett's an Eagles fan and he also is an Orioles and a Phillies fan and he's going to be on the Yankee episodes like he always is. So so tell Brett that you love him, even though he's not a that he's not a Giants or a, or a Yankees fan. Tell him that you love him. Yeah, I, I'm passionate about talking about these teams too, even though I'm not the fan. I love I love sports, man. I, I love watching. I, I you know I like having strong opinions. <laughs> yeah. So. All right, I so, might not uh, be there, but I, I, I love talking about your teams. <laughs> thank you, Brett. Thank you, Brett. So uh, I think that's going to do it. Um, we'll see you we'll next week, early next week. For uh, Hopefully we'll have a Yankee episode out there, and then we'll see you in the middle of the week next week for yet another New York Football Giants episode. If there's any news that breaks, we'll, we'll be here, but unlikely that there's any news that's actually going to break since we're approaching the silly season oh, and, the, and we're approaching the cold stove season. So, you know, just, you know what you got to do, everybody. You just got to keep on bleeding blue. Peace out. I'm always terrible with how to end podcasts. Goodbye.
Hey everybody, it's Talking Jake here, and I want to tell you about a new podcast and video series you're not going to want to miss, The Deal. Every week, A-Rod and Bloomberg reporter Jason Kelly speak with big-time athletes, entertainers, executives, Maria Sharapova, Strahan, Jeter, and more. The Deal takes you behind the scenes into those worlds of sports, media, and entertainment. From Bloomberg Podcasts and Bloomberg Originals, you can listen to The Deal on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you get your podcasts.